What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. This is a podcast about generational wealth, financial literacy, and business. And before we introduce today's guest, my man, Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Today, um, I have for my spotlight, I'm basically just going to talk about different things here about life, uh, basically just six undeniable facts of life. Now, because this podcast basically deals with building generational wealth, we also want to also promote a positive work-life balance. So instead of always teaching our, educating our children to be rich, we also want to remember to educate them to be happy, you know, so when they grow up, they would know the value of things, not just the price of it. Um, the best awarded words to say to someone is eat your food as your medicines. Otherwise, you have to eat medicine as your food. Now, the one who loves you would never leave you because even if you're a hundred reasons to give up, he or she will find one reason to hold on to you. And there's a big difference between a human being and only being human. Only a few will probably really understand what that means. And you're loved when you're born. You'll be loved when you die. But in between, you have to manage that. So number six, if you want to just walk fast, walk alone. But if you want to walk far, walk together. Now the best six doctors in the world is number one would be sunlight, two would be rest, three would be to exercise, four is to diet, five is self-control, and number six is to have some friends. Maintain them in all stages of life and enjoy a healthy life. And the older we get, the fewer things seem worth waiting in line for. So that is my spotlight for this week. So now let's introduce today's guest. His brother here is Herman Moyer with the Masters of Business Administration. He's an experienced space and missile professional. This brother's currently, he's the management and program analyst at NASA. He's a leader. When we talk about leaders, this brother was the commander chief master sergeant of the 45th space wing and when we talk about that we're talking about the air force so brothers when we talk about problem solving we're talking about quality insurance we're talking about mission insurance herman moyer is a master of that welcome herman moyer to black men sundays brother how you doing hey corey i'm doing well i want to first of all thank you for having me on the show so i really appreciate that and uh, all of the hard work that you and your team are doing so let's start from the beginning man because this black men sundays we want to talk about finance we want to talk about generational wealth we want to talk about financial literacy but first we need to talk about a brother when i look at your credentials i don't see a brother i'm just I just got to be honest, it's Black Men Sundays. We keep it real on here. When I look at those credentials off top, mentally, I do not see a brother here. So talk to us from the beginning. How did you have an interest in getting in the Air Force? How did you get at NASA? Let's go, man. I'm excited. Oh, well, well, it's a lot to unpack there, but I really appreciate it. Uh, first of all, I will tell you, in high school, I'll start there. Like any high schooler, I didn't quite understand where I wanted to be when I graduated high school. I didn't have any prospects for college at the time because it wasn't really something that was prevalent in my family. So that wasn't being pushed. I actually, my last two years of high school was in a Votech school. So I would go to school half a day and then I would go and learn a skill the second half a day. And it was electronics, basically building, I was building computers and uh, things of that nature back in the eighties when this was a big deal, uh, making it yourself, uh, working on robots, back then and uh, some of the lab work that we were doing. And I was just a teenager. So that sparked interest in science and technology for me. 
However, the college route wasn't in my future at the time. So after uh, watching some TV and seeing some things that were going on around the world, if you guys remember in 1986, we had a space shuttle that was launching in NASA and it failed launching off the uh, launch pad. And it was the Challenger, the space shuttle. And I was actually in one of my Votex courses and my instructor who was a female at the time, electronics instructor, had paused the class and we all were watching the newscasts. And it was NASA. And that was the first time that NASA really got into my head about, hey, those guys are doing big things, are going to space and so forth. But it was a tragic moment. So I remember that. And uh, I kind of talked to my teacher, says, you know, I'm going to go and uh, make sure that never happens again. Now, mind you, I didn't have any college experience, nor did I have prospects at college. So I looked other avenues because I didn't let that stop me to kind of work in the space industry. And the Air Force was there to offer that opportunity. So I joined the Air Force. And uh, my recruiter had told me, yeah, you, we, we can get you to work in the space industry because I sought specific jobs. I ended up working on missiles, our nation's uh, missile defense, if you will, or our uh, what we call intercontinental ballistic missiles. So I, wor I worked on those. And it was a uh, actual very pleasant surprise in that job to me, although the location was something to be desired. So long story short, they sent me to North Dakota. I worked in missile silos underground. I was a missile technician. I, I uh, Hopefully, I think I did a good job um, maintaining those missiles re ready to launch. And that's a whole nother story. And eventually, they recognized my uh, prowess and, and skill, and they sent me to be an instructor. So they sent me to California. I became a teacher. I taught new recruits coming into the, to the Air Force how to work and repair these missile systems and keep these missile systems on alert. Then uh, I got another phone call. I never had to look for a job. Someone was always calling me. This is another thing based on my work performance. And I got another call from uh, Cape Canaveral after being in Vandenberg Air Force Base in California for four years. And the uh, individual says, hey, heard you want to work in uh, space systems and satellite programs. And I, I said, yes. So I got that job and then I moved from California to Florida. And I spent 10 years in Cape Canaveral working, uh, integrating satellites onto rocket systems, different rockets. And all my experience built up to that. Then uh, got promoted multiple times and moved into management, went back to California, served on staff and Colorado Springs, served on Space Command headquarters staff. Then they sent me back to California. I was a uh, chief of missile test. It's where we launch a missile just to make sure it works and hit targets down in the Kwajalein Islands. And that was pretty fascinating. And then I got promoted again, and then they sent me in a higher management position. And then I came to Patrick and became the command chief there, which is the senior enlisted guy on the, the base. And then uh, I got picked up for a job with the National Reconnaissance Office, where I was the uh, chief of system safety, launching our spy satellites into orbit. That was pretty unique. Then I retired. That was 30 years of my life in a couple of seconds, but uh, that's the gist of it. <laughs> um, once I retired, I thought back to that 1986 time frame when I was talking about the space show blowing up. And I wanted to know what I was going to do the rest of my life. And uh, NASA seemed to be a great opportunity for me since I now consider myself being able to do what I want to do versus what I had to do. And I'll talk more about that later. So I got the opportunity to do what I want to do. I joined NASA team. I helped to uh, now put folks, we're putting folks on the moon and launching science projects as, such as the James Webb. You guys have seen some of the photos. Uh, with that said, 
as we go further. I wanted to make sure everyone knows all the views and things that I talk about are strictly mine and I'm not representing the organization nor am I promoting any specific books, companies or anything like that. So these are just my opinions. Gotcha. And I appreciate that. I, I kind of like how you preface that because you're going to let these brothers know you're going to drop some jewels on them today. So I'm just letting y'all know if y'all sensitive, don't listen. If you want to learn something about generational wealth, this brother's going to keep it real. He's going to drop jewels. But just in my two conversations with him, he's he's a real guy here. So don't don't let his credentials fool you with thinking he's somebody soft because this brother here, his credentials, his expertise. Listen, we're talking about quality assurance, mission assurance. And let me look real quick. This brother, Eastern and Western launch range subject matter expert. Yes. So let's let's dive in a little deeper now because it's Black Men Sundays. We want to get into some of the generational, well, some of the business talk. I already can hear some brothers saying, come on, can we talk some some money stuff? So let's talk, man. You know, you've had a you have a phenomenal career. You know, you're also a father. How did you instill a good credit score, financial literacy into um your kids? Excellent, excellent question. So when I was a kid, and I'm gonna start there, make it quick, I did not learn anything about financial management, financial literacy. You know, we I I don't want to say we, but I, in my experience, did not have a background or a family that instilled that into me, nor did I have a family that um, planned for the future. With that said, I met my wife and uh, we got married young age. I was 21. She was 20. And uh, everything was perfect when there were no kids. Now, I'm not saying that kids are not good. I'm just saying it was perfect. We didn't have any financial issues. We were living our dream. However, we started having kids. Finances became a big deal in the family. We had to start thinking about the future as opposed to living day to day as we were before we had kids. So I had to go back and relearn for myself what financial literacy was and what it meant because I didn't know what it was. So I racked up some credit card debts and things of that nature early on in our marriage and our relationships because I didn't understand money. So that experience getting out of that debt, as I did early on in life, helped me to go understand I need to go learn things. So what I did was I actually went to the library and I started reading some books. I uh, We didn't have the internet as you have it today, which I'll talk about later, which is a big deal. This, this information technology we have today is awesome. So I went to the library. I talked to folks. I observed folks, you know, how, because I didn't have that example at home as I, uh, did my career in different places, observed how other folks lived and how they did things. And I asked questions. I asked them, say, you know, how are you able to live like this? And they would answer me and give me some nuggets of information. So as my kids got older, my wife and I made our life decisions. We did at early age. We, we made some financial decisions uh, at about 20, when my wife was 23 and I was 24. So we had been married about three and a half years. And uh, we decided that we had two kids and that our income was such that we couldn't afford our kids to be in daycare because daycare has been expensive. So my wife and I discussed this and we discussed the plan. She stopped working and took care of the kids. However, she went to school at night. I would work during the day and then at night I would take care of the kids and it worked out. Neither one of us had a degree at the time. She finished her bachelor's degree, which increased her earning potential, right? And after she finished her degree, the deal was I would go to school and get my, my bachelor's degree, which I did. Long story short, taking those experiences as our kids were growing up, 
we learn to manage money within our means, get rid of debt. And I transferred that knowledge to my kids at an early age. Um, we would give them allowances. We would make them pay for things. We would talk about how, they, how much things cost. Yeah, they want the Jordans that are $200. <laughs> and I would laugh. It says, hey, let's go get the shacks over here at uh, you know, <laughs> the shoe store here over at this uh, Payless place or wherever it was for $30 versus $300. Or, you know, they would want the trendy clothes. And I was like, that's cool. I said, you could have one of these, you know, for $60 or we get you three of these, you know, for $20 each, right? You make decisions. So they were into those decisions. So at an early age, we would get them involved in that. So sometimes they didn't always have the best stuff, but they had stuff. <laughs> and, um, I think they learned value through that over the years and it progressed as they became teenagers. And they, I remember giving my kids money for their first car and I both gave them both the same amount of money and they both bought something totally different. And I said, here's the amount of money you have. So you got to buy something that you can afford with this money. And they did. And, and uh, different outcomes for both of them, different vehicles, but they stuck within those parameters of money they had. And that was a lesson too. You know, you can't buy all the time what you think you want. Sometimes you have to buy what you can afford, right? And it became more of a need as they became teenagers because they, they needed that freedom and we wanted to instill that freedom into them. And that's a whole other life lesson there we want to provide our kids. So uh, that was part of the lesson there too. And then as they became independent, I'll tell you right now, uh, I've always intended on paying for my kids' college. And my wife and I, through our years of experience, we had saved up money. We worked our way up the ladder in our jobs. We educated ourselves getting our uh, bachelor's and, and our master's degrees. And we increased our earning potentials through hard work in our positions we did. And we saved money and we paid for their college so that they didn't get saddled down with the college debt crisis that you see we have today. And that was another thing that we thought about, you know, as part of the plan that we thought about. So with that said, just to, to get to other questions, when they became independent, got their own jobs, I talked to them about 401k investments, I talked to them about owning homes and building wealth. I talked to them about saving money, which a lot of folks don't talk about. You know, um, as you understand, you've probably seen the statistics. Any of, any of the listeners can listen, go look it out up on the web. Most folks, unfortunately, unable to uh, navigate a $500 emergency for the month. But I talked to them about that, to have some money set aside for those emergencies in case your car breaks down or you get stranded or something you have some money that you can quickly access. Talking about not having credit card debt because uh, debt is, to me, it restricts your freedom, to put it in a, a term that I think that most people can understand. I, I think you're truly free when you don't have any debt because you can make decisions better. But when you owe a lot of money to a lot of folks, creditors and so forth, you may be stuck in a certain job because you have to pay these bills every month, or you may be stuck to a certain location because you have to pay these bills all, all the time. Whereas if you don't have debt, you're free to move where you want to and change jobs and do other things that you want to do. So in a nutshell, from when they were young kids to when they're adults and still, I still talk to them about their money, even though I think they know the answer already. I still tell them because I think it's something we need to do with our families and our friends as well. And my wife's been very involved in that too. And that's a whole other thing I'll talk about too. I kind of want to touch on um, a point you made. You said from a young age, you and your wife set aside money for your kids to go to college. So for the brothers and sisters out there listening that have young kids now that don't have any money saved, if you don't mind, just the amounts you guys save monthly, 
how were you able to save that and comfortably pay your bills? Right. So like all folks young starting out, most of us, we're not making a big paycheck. So it's hard to say. However, my philosophy is this. It's only hard to save when, when you don't want to. And it's a decision that we make not to save. Um, and, I, and I'll put it bluntly. If you're making $10, saving five cents out of a dollar, just, just five cents, right, out of a dollar. So that's 50 cents out of the $10 is a reasonable thing to say. Now, I know we got debts we got to pay and we got life we got to live. We got family we got to feed. But like our family income and our family household needs to be run kind of like a business. You need to budget and say, okay, yeah, I've got to pay all these things, but I want to minimize the debts and expenditures I have so that I can also do the saving that I need to do. And if you treat your household kind of like a business in that sense, you'll find that you can find the room to save some dollars, some cents. And I break it down to cents because a lot of folks buy coffee every day and the coffees they buy are $5, $7. I mean, I've seen some doozies and some fancy names and it's, it's really laughable in some sense and not to offend anybody. Like you said, don't get offended. I'm just giving real talk here. People complain about paying $5 for gas, but they'll go buy a $6 beer at the local pub. Or they'll complain about having to pay $5 or whatever for gas, but yet they'll go buy um, a nice cigar to smoke, right? <laughs> they'll complain about $5 gas, but they'll go buy $300 Jordans. And if you really think about what's needed um, versus what you'd like to do, within your means, you'll find that you can find the savings that you need to put away every month to take care of your kid's college. And if you start at a young age, I mean, if your kid is born today, starting at one month old, and you put away a hundred bucks a month for the kid's education by the time they're 17 to go to college, that's quite a few dollars, but it takes discipline to do that. And it takes work to find the money to do it. So I think that everybody can save for their kid's college if they really really look for it. And there's many stories to prove to back it up. And I challenge your listeners to go to the internet and do some research. I, I that's another thing I'm, I'm big on is I don't, I'm not big on telling you, giving you the answer. I'm telling you where to go find the answer, right? Um, you've heard the stories of janitors who worked at a school cleaning bathrooms and mopping floors and their kids go off to college. So anyway, that's my answer in short. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the janitors because I remember a few janitors when I worked in uh, Channel 6 in Tallahassee. Um, they were janitors. They would come in after the six o'clock show. They would talk to me a little bit. Then they invited me to their house. Kids college tuition was fully paid and they basically had a system set up like you. So brothers out there that have young kids start putting money aside. Don't be waiting. Start doing it early. You heard what his brother said. Um, we're going to open the floor up right now. Brothers, any questions? Yeah, this is Commissioner Scott. I have a quick question. Uh, I can tell from listening to your demeanor and listen to you speak. You have really high emotional intelligence. And we start talking about money and leading people. Uh, sometimes you may not have people on your team that have uh, the equal amount of emotional intelligence. So considering the high risk associated with space launches, how do you effectively hold your team accountable for the team's roles in the launch during the execution of 29 space launches of DOD satellites and 10 <laughs> ISS missions? Yep. So uh, let's just pull in the leadership strength. Leadership, first of all, is trust and building the team, the right team. So a lot of times with these big operations, we have a team of experts that we empower, right? We empower them to make decisions and 
they take that and when you trust them and, and they know you're, you care about them, they take that their job seriously and they want to be the best that they want to be. So what I did was I empowered them by giving them the tools, the, the training they needed. If they needed training, we make sure they got it. I empowered them by uh, giving them the flexibility of voice. So at the board meetings, if anyone had any objections or any other ideas than what, what was presented, everyone felt the freedom and comfortable to speak up and speak forward. And you need that in your team. I, I made an environment where they all worked uh, together and they felt safe. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you look like. You know, if you can do the job and you're part of this team, you're as equal as anyone else in this room. So with that kind of a team and dynamic work dynamic, I had the confidence that when my team members spoke up and said, hey, I like this or we're good, go, which is the key word in launch, then I'm going to echo that to, to my superiors, go, we're go, because I trust them. Or if I had a team member with the contrary says, hey, you know, I know we went through all these uh, different checkpoints. However, I noticed this data doesn't look quite what I need it to be. And then they would present that data and the team would take that seriously and reevaluate it because in the launch business, um, you only get one chance to do it right. <laughs> and if you don't do it right, we've seen what happens. You can't recall it. So we, what's another day of delay to save a mission that be, may be worth a billion dollars, right? So let's take a look at it and we reevaluate it. And sometimes it was nothing. And that's great too. Awesome. Everybody's on the same page now. Sometimes there may have been something there and we just caught something that could have caused a failure and uh, jeopardize our mission success. So with that said, trust my team, empower my team, train my team, and uh, create an environment within the work organization where everyone feels comfortable and safe to work and speak up. Thanks for that input. I was just wondering uh, when you're with your family, as you try to establish, uh, you know, the values and the infrastructure of them being financially responsible, did you just take what you learned from the military and what you apply from the military and just, you know, parlay that to your family as well? Right. So we're all a product of our environments. So the military definitely has something to do with it, as well as my upbringing. Um, I was born in Baltimore City, uh, come from a very poor family, quite frankly, uh, public assistance family, nine kids. Now, they weren't all my brothers and sisters. They were my cousins. But that's how we lived back then. And um, I take some of that experience of not having anything, couple that with the experience of building something from nothing. My wife and I built together our life, as well as all the educational opportunities I've had, um, observation of others, uh, asking questions of folks that are successful, that I want to be like. You know, I always tell folks, if you're in a room of 20 successful folks, you're probably 21. <laughs> if you're in a room of uh, 20 folks that aren't as successful, I think the same may be as true. So the old adage of surrounding yourself with people that you want to be like or people that are smarter than you makes more sense to me than uh, trying to figure it out on my own. So yes, my experiences are a combination of military life and people I've met along the way because I didn't have a good... Uh, example growing up, but also understanding that example growing up where, hey, I don't want to be that. So making decisions based on that and educational opportunities through reading books, uh, articles, TV shows, where I can consume knowledge and information that may make me a make me make better decisions. I utilize that. Thank you, sir.
So, um, Lou, I want to ask you, man, you know, when we're talking about raising our kids, man, you know, you raised Crystal Moyer, your daughter. She's currently the morning anchor at News 6, which is a big post, a big deal. Not many sisters, not many black people in general or people of color in general have had a post like that. So how does it make you feel to know that the work you put in, that money you saved over time to help build her up? Now she's at a level where she's a homeowner and she's the morning anchor on News 6. So I just want to ask you, how do you feel about that? Well, first of all, um, I didn't do everything by myself. My wife is uh, equally as responsible for our kids' development and growth as my family as a team. And um, if you have a, a spouse and you don't realize that you are truly lockstep, have to be a team, then there's some growth that needs to take place. Now, my wife and I have been married 34 years. And uh, when I first got married, I had to learn how to, we had to grow together because uh, we, we didn't understand, it doesn't come with manuals, right? And when you have kids, they don't come with manuals. We had to understand to grow together and we were successful at doing that. With that said, I did not, Crystal did everything and herself. Maurice has done everything himself. My son, he's a successful uh, young man as well in the Space Force. What we have done was we provided them a platform or a base to start from, an example to start from. And our goal was to give them a better base than we both had, my wife and I. And we, we discussed this when we were younger. We were in our 20s, early 20s when we had kids. And yeah, that was a big deal. Big life change for us. So we, we provided them a base. We, we gave them certain things as I talked about at work. What I do with my uh, employees that I've done is we give them an environment of safety, which I believe we successfully did for our kids. We gave them training opportunities, if you will, right? Education that they needed, make sure they got in good schools, uh, check their homework. We were involved in school with them, um, involved with their job opportunities they were taking to make sure they were taking job opportunities that were something they can grow off of uh, throughout their life. We were involved in their friends they hung around with. You know, this is part of being a parent, you know? Don't abdicate your authority as a parent when it comes to your kids. You know, you gotta be involved in their life. We got them involved in activity that uh, enhanced their ability to think and function in teams and in society. You know, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't win. Sports, for my son, it was football, baseball, basketball, soccer, you name it, he played it. For my daughter, she did play some t-ball, she played some soccer, and then she cheerleaded like forever. Uh, she was an awesome cheerleader. She still is. I think she's the best cheerleader. So we gave them activities, that opportunity to grow in society and learn things. And we, we listened to them, you know, when they had things to say, contrary to what we had. But we also let them understand that, hey, we hear you. However, <laughs> here's the real deal. Here's what's going to happen. Because maybe at this time, you're not able to uh, make those decisions, right? This will be better for you and push them in a certain direction. Given that, Crystal and Maurice, both my kids, have gone off to become individuals successful in their careers, off their hard work, their diligence, uh, values that I believe that they learn through our life experience and some things going on around them. So I'm very proud of that, very proud of them both. The stage is back open. But before I open the stage, Crystal, you know, you're on Black Men's Sundays. I want to welcome you to Black Men's Sundays. You shared a post a few weeks ago when your husband was on Black Men's Sundays. 
you know, I want to salute you. I want to congratulate you. Like I said, fellas, because this is a global show. We got brothers in Germany. We have brothers in New Zealand, brothers. Like, it's not just in the USA. It's not just Florida. It's not just Orlando. We global out here. So, Crystal, I just want you to just say something on behalf, because like I said, I'm proud of you. Super proud of you. You know, you morning anchor. I'm waking up to you in the mornings now. I'm probably going to have to they, they're going to have to go on and get the app ready so I can get the wake up thing with you. But I don't know if your husband going to be cool with that. You know what I mean? But uh, I want to salute you. I want to thank you for going for that position. And just, you know, how does it make you feel to get a position like that? And how does it make you feel working for a company that really respects what you do? Because, you know, you do the insider and you also shoot and edit your own stuff. So how does that make you feel to be the morning anchor now? First of all, thank you so much, Corey. That is such a packed question. <laughs> um, honestly, I've wanted to be a journalist forever uh, since I was in elementary school I remember being a part of my school's TV production program or just morning announcements program. And it's something that I've always been very passionate about all through elementary, middle and high school. Um, my parents, my mom and dad were very supportive. If there was some opportunity of like a school news production uh, thing or recording they were doing, my parents were like, tell me what you need, we will get you there. And I think that is a big part of how I was able to take advantage of all the opportunities that I had. I just always watched news when I was a kid and always wanted to do it. I wasn't a big fan of all of the, I want to say like negative hard news because I was a cheerleader, but I knew that if I had the opportunity, I would do more community positive based stories. And I think that's what I love about my job now with the insider. Um, I'm able to do those positive stories and really get involved in the communities and meeting the people living in our communities. And I think that's what keeps me very passionate about working at News 6. A lot of stations don't give you that opportunity to kind of do what you love. Um, and you know about that too, Corey. We have really great managers that instill in us that they will let us try at least um, anything that we're passionate about and see how that works out. It still hasn't hit me yet. <laughs> it really hasn't hit me yet about this new gig that I have. It's, it's literally been a week. Um, so I'm just excited to see where it goes. But yeah, my parents have always been very supportive of me as far as money and everything, you know, being in the journalism field, it's always about the clothes or the makeup and, you know, you got to look good on air um, while you're doing what you love. And, and I just always remember my parents just being there to support me whenever. They were traveling a lot when I was in high school and college. There was a point where my dad had to go live in California so that I could stay in Florida um, so I can continue to pursue my high school journalism career. And my mom stayed back with us. And then when I was in college, they were moving to California and to Colorado. So we were just all over the place. The family was always split. But I knew that I always had the support no matter where they were, which was super helpful. Nice. And I have to put you on the spot this Black Men's Sunday. You know, we talk about generational wealth, financial literacy and business. So what's one tip that you can share with our listeners that either you learned on your own or you learned from your parents financially? For me, particularly, being financially stable was difficult, I will say. Um, my parents, they are very, I don't want to say set in their ways, but they have a lot of push and drive to save. And growing up, I did not. <laughs> I remember getting my first job at the mall. I worked at a clothing store and my first paycheck, I had saved so many clothes in the back. And I remember my dad like uh, took me to the mall to get my first paycheck. And then I had to call him back in the store 
because I actually saved more clothes and the money that I had in my first check and I was ready to spend it all. Um, <laughs> so I got, a, I got a good talking to after that from my dad, but basically growing up, it's just being exposed to opportunities to save. Um, when I was in elementary middle school, I, I remember Washington Mutual would come to our school every month. And if you saved a dollar, like if you opened a bank account and put in a dollar, they would give you like a prize. So I don't think I realized how important it was back then when I was a kid, but I just remembered I got out of class for like 30 minutes and I got a prize if I just gave a dollar. And over the years that grew to a few hundred dollars, I remember. And then when I you know, started working professionally as a journalist, you know, my dad would say, hey, make sure you save at least 15% in your 401k. And I was like, oh gosh, no, you know, I, I want to spend that money. I want that money. But I listened and I saved to that 15%. Now I currently save 18% in my 401k. And, and some people, they invest and that's great. You know, my husband is excellent at doing the research and he knows a lot about that. But me personally, it's so much easier for me to just put that away before I even get my paycheck. So I don't know what I'm missing. And it takes no effort on my end. So that's where I am financially. And I think I learned that a lot from my mom and dad because they just kept talking about it and instilling it in me. And at first, obviously, I did not listen to everything. Um, I've had a few financial failures. My dad knows about that. <laughs> but over the years, I have listened to his advice and I'm still learning on managing my money so that when I get to his level, you know, as a parent one day, I could support my kids like he's supported me. Wow, that's phenomenal. You know, Crystal, I'm gonna have to book you on Black Men Sundays. I feel like what you just said, I can wrap that up in like an hour. So I'm gonna have to book you on Black Men Sundays because uh, what you just said was phenomenal. Like, you know, I'm thinking I'm doing it big. I'm I've been doing 13 percent since I was like 21, but she said 18 percent. Make sure y'all getting these gems now. Y'all not sleeping. She said 18 percent. Yes, Mr. Herman. Wow, Crystal. I want to salute you, you know, welcome to that anchor desk. Welcome to your new post. And I'm excited. I'm excited for all the success that's going to come. I love Thanks, that. Corey. Appreciate it. I love yeah. that. She's awesome. If the fathers and the mother can take the gems that Mr. Moyer gave to his daughter that she just delivered to you guys. I mean, just from what she said alone would change a lot of people's lives. So let's get back into it, Mr. Moria, man. I just I just had to do that. You know, that's a big deal. I've been at Channel 6 like 22 years now, you know, besides Jackie London. Um, there's not been a lot of sisters on there besides Bridget Ellison. It's not been a lot, a lot of sisters on here. The fact that she's this is a big deal. Like people are saying, OK, no, this is a big deal. So I just had to make mention to that. I know a lot of news directors, a lot of managers are listening from Grand Media. So that's how we doing it on Black Men Sunday. So, Mr. Mori, let's get back into it, man. We're talking about generational wealth. We're about to warm it up. But the sensitive people on here, you might as well get off because we're about to heat it up a little bit. We're talking about Black men, 29 to 55. I may extend it to 22 to 55, Mr. Moyer. But in our community, I feel like it's a lot of excuses being made. You know, the problem that I'm seeing now is there's brothers out there that have children that are graduating college the kids are wearing gucci balenciaga hermes belts gucci shoes you know jeans you know i'm from the 90s where michael jordan wore the jeans you know wore them a little loose so i'm i'm still trying to convert to the tightness but i'm just saying man there's a lot of kids out there 
had to privilege lives because a lot of their parents grew up in poverty. They say, you know, what? when I have my kids, I'm going to give them what I didn't have. But I'm seeing the backfire effect 18 years later, where now those kids are privileged. They're in college. They're begging for money. They're not hustling like we did. Okay, I'm in college. I have a job. I'm working at the station five in the morning. They want to sit back, sit on social media all day. So with this generation, how can we get these kids and how can we get the brothers with the excuses to stop doing that and to get on their jobs? Right. Oh, this is a deep question, Corey. Thank you very much. Wow. So a lot here. And um, what I would say, first of all, is that you pointed out a lot of the times we black men are the problem. So I'm going to just put that out there. A lot of folks may not agree. That's fine. That's why this is America. We can say what we want to say to a certain extent, and we have debate on it. With that said, we have to recognize our own faults up front to minimize excuses. So I'll tell you that. A lot of times when I've had, and I'm going to use my own experiences, uh, a downfall of some sort financially, I always looked in the mirror and said, what did I do? Because really, that's who I need to be talking to. <laughs> I made a decision consciously somewhere along the line that got me in a certain position where I need to get out of financial bind. So with that said, I looked back, analyzed it, and then made sure that I did not repeat that, right? So with regards to buying your kids whatever they want, I mean, if you have the money to do that and you want to do that, that's fine. But it's not sustainable for most folks. So I always tried to teach, as I mentioned before, my kids the value of getting what they needed and having options. And, and what I mean by that is, hey, I can get you these $100 shoes, which everybody's the rave right now, right? And you'll have these, but you're going to wear these all year. This is all you get. Or we can buy three pair of these $30 shoes. You know, you can get a pair of running shoes, you get different color, you can do this. You can have different outfits and so, and so forth and so forth. And if something happens to a pair, it's not a quick impact or a hardest impact as if something happened to your $100 shoes. When I was growing up, there were some kids who had some pretty expensive tennis shoes come to school and it would cause a lot of issues because the schools I went to early in life were not very uh, affluent schools. And you got to wonder if they came from the same community to me, how did they get these shoes? <laughs> Considering that these shoes are probably one fifth of the rent for the month, right? With that said, it usually caused conflicts and things of that nature. So I learned from that as a kid going through elementary school and middle school about that. And I tried to pass it on to my kids about getting what you needed versus what you wanted and getting what you can afford versus trying to look like you're something you're not. And I think that's another point I want to bring up is a lot of times we're trying to make our kids look like something they're not. And we got to keep up with the Joneses, if you will, making sure they have the latest clothes, the latest shoes, the latest hairstyles, you know, let's, let's get real here. The latest nails. I've been to the nail salon a couple of times with my wife. I didn't know how much it costs. <laughs> I, I, I still can't understand it costs that much, but it does. And folks have it. And sometimes they can't afford it, but they have it. So I think what we need to do is we need to really evaluate where we're putting our money. And we need to teach our kids why it's important to do what we're doing with our money. Let's save some of it. Let's buy what we need it versus splurging on these things. And it's okay to splurge once in a while. Don't get me wrong. I, I, like, to, I like nice things too. You know, I like a nice car. I like a nice watch. I like a nice meal, you know, eat out. But at the same time, you got to be realistic about what's sustainable and what you can afford and not going into debt on credit. And also teaching your kids to stay within a means, a certain budget too, as I did with my kids. 
because I would like you to have these nice things, but also would like you to have money that you could do other things with if you needed to, and emergency money. And sometimes you can't do both. For those who can, I, I, I applaud them. Yeah, great. You know, but let's get real. Most of us can't, right? So let's focus on getting what we need, okay? Saving some money. And then once in a while, yes, let's go ahead and splurge and get those nice things we want to reward ourselves for hard work that we're doing. Great information. And let's, let's you know, get into, uh, you have a master's in business administration as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about, for example, let's talk about stocks. Do you do any investing? Do you believe in crypto? What's your thoughts on those methods? Uh, of course I invest. Everyone should, okay? If you're not in the game, first of all, let's go back to being in America, the greatest country in the world, right? The most, uh, let's just say the richest country in the world, the most opportunities in the world. And if you're not taking advantage of these opportunities and investment is one of them, then you're missing out. You're missing out on the dream, the American dream. So crypto, no, I don't do that. It's too, it's too cryptic to punt, give you some punt, <laughs> right? It is. I'm not saying it's not going to be viable or it's not viable. What I'm saying is I don't do it because I don't trust it. And I don't think it's real in some respects. And there's too many uh, things going on out there that, that aren't regulated. Now, getting off of uh, crypto, traditionally, like Crystal had mentioned, I do the dollar cost averaging as a main way of investing. And that's through the stock market. And that's putting away money every uh, paycheck. And over time, the interest in Gains you make on your money is going to make more interesting gains and so forth and so forth. And you're going to actually have a pretty good portfolio of money in your 401k over time, 40 years, whatever it may be. Uh, also, invest in real estate, you know. And when I say invest in real estate, there's several options for that. You can, uh, first of all, buy a place for you to live so you can stop paying somebody else to live somewhere. That's a great way to build wealth. But also, you can also buy into uh, uh, real estate uh, investments. Uh, groups of folks who get together and they buy properties and they rent them out and so forth and so forth. That's one way to do it. Or if you're uh, well off enough to buy your own properties and rent them out, that's another way to do it. There's uh, residential rentals, there's business rentals. I know a lot of my friends that I know, and you've met some of them, they actually do some of those things. So real estate's one way. Uh, there's stocks, bonds, there's all kinds of commodities trading you can do. There's just get in the game. I'm not going to endorse any specific thing other than you need to be doing something. At a minimum, take advantage of your employer's uh, 401k programs. Um, some employers will provide 1%, 3%, 5% match. And many folks aren't even doing it. In other words, they're missing out on part of their compensation for working. So let's just say, go back to my $10 scenario. And if your employer has 5% on, on the money you put in, and you put 50 cents in, they put the other 50 cents in, that's a dollar, right? I mean, that's pretty good. That's 10% of your income getting put in away every paycheck. And that's part of your compensation it needs to be calculated for the future. There's pension programs. Some employers have that. And I, I look at this when you say investing, you got to look at the whole total. When, you, when you're looking at an uh, employer and they offer a pension program, you should calculate that into your decision on working with that employer because a pension oh my goodness, oh, many employers don't even have those anymore, is something that may outlive you when you retire as an, a source of income. So let's just sum it all up here. When you do finally retire and then you've invested in certain uh, vehicles to generate income, whether it be real estate, whether it be stock market, whether it be commodities, whatever it is, 
and you have these multiple income streams coming in, coupled with your social security because you've been working. And that's another thing people need to think about when they retire is they're gonna get social security. And I know there's a lot of debate about it going away or something of that nature. Well, it's not gonna go away if you vote. So all I gotta say is take all that into account and you have these multiple income streams coming in in retirement and you should be pretty well off. And that wealth will translate to your kids and to your kids' kids because you'll be better in a better position to support them. And I'm not talking about support them monetarily. I'm talking about support them in their growth. Through example, they'll see how well you've lived and they say, I wanna be like, you know, that person or like my grandfather or like my father. And that's important to have a good example. So I was going to ask you a, a bunch of questions about, you know, diversified stock portfolio. But when you spoke earlier, you hit a nerve because you said that you grew up in public housing and I did too. Right. So could you describe a little bit to the listeners out there that may be in the same situation and may be in a lower socioeconomic status right now? Like, how did you see your way out of that? to what you're doing now as a youngster. This is open for debate. I'm happy to talk to anybody about this. Um, don't get offended. Move. I know it sounds easy and it's not, but you got to do it. And I'm going to give an example. Growing up in Baltimore, there were some projects and so forth. And I lived with one aunt as a toddler and I was a young person. Make an observation. I remember like it very vividly, like it was yesterday. And everyone seemed to be doing the same thing. I mean, not working, couldn't find a job, you know, but nobody got up and said, hey, the jobs aren't here. They're over there. In other cultures, that's what they do. You know, there's a reason a lot of folks are coming to America because there are opportunities here. However, it seems to be that there's some of us, Black men, specifically since the show is about this and not to call anybody, who are unwilling to see that there's opportunity somewhere else that they may want to just move to where the opportunity is. I was in Minnesota visiting a friend of mine in a small town called Holly, Minnesota. Look it up on the map. It's like in the middle of nowhere just over the border of North Dakota, uh, Fargo, North Dakota. So if you find Fargo, look east in the Minnesota, you'll see Holly. And you think, hey, there's no black folks up there. There are plenty of black folks up there, okay? So I go up there, I go fishing trip with a friend of mine up there, and we see an immigrant town, literally. Folks who have moved to America, and they're up there, and they've got all kinds of jobs that they're doing, filling up there. Because they moved and they found out where the opportunity was, and they moved there, and they've taken advantage of those opportunities. And they are homeowners. <laughs> I mean, they, they have houses. They look pretty, in my view, pretty decent life. However, coming back from where I, going back to the story where I grew up, folks were just in the same two block radius, doing nothing. And in some cases, doing things to survive. Uh, I'll just put it in that nice way that weren't legal. When there's opportunity in other places that they can get to if they really worked hard to do it. And that's what I think that folks need to be educated on it's not the opportunity is not where you're at. Find out where the opportunity is and go seek it out. And that takes us to take action, right? To realize the situation we're in, think about it, give thought to it, and take action to get ourselves out of it. Because in America, we can do that. We can do anything here. I mean, the sky is literally not the limit, right? It's not. Our opportunities are infinite here in America, in my view as I've discovered, and I've seen it happen many, many times with other folks. So that's what I would say. Get out of your situation, sometimes geographic location. Sometimes it's the circle you hang around with. Sometimes it's uh, maybe some past things that have happened to you, right? And you're not gonna be able to change that, but you're gonna have to figure out how to overcome those things to change the trajectory of your financial status and life. 
Man, I appreciate that a lot. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I got a question. What's up, OG? <laughs> this is uh this is Rob from uh from Florida. He's being uh Mr. Moore is being very humble. He's being very, very, very humble. He's from the projects of Baltimore. I've actually seen it because he took me there before. Um, but just a quick question for those um in the black community who, who might say, you know, um, it's so difficult to do it without a father figure or without parents. What is your message for those um, who are growing up in those types of environment? Um, and then, you know, when you see someone like you who is able to do it, what would be your message to the young uh, the young man or the young girl out there who are trying to matriculate through life? Yep. And, and you know, Rob, great talking with you. My number one son-in-law. Appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> my only son-in-law. But anyway, Rob, this is a good question. I never met my father. So I'll just start with that. I'm not sad, you know, don't be sad for me. Unfortunately, in, in some of our communities, you know, it's black men and that's been a uh, legacy in some respects, not totally for everyone. Cause I know plenty of folks who have great fathers, black fathers, black men. However, there are some of us who haven't had a black father or seen him. I didn't let that stop me. I found uh, other examples, some bad. And I was like, hey, I don't wanna be like that. Again, consciously thinking about it. And some great say, hey, you know, I like what's really happening here. And I want to learn from that person. And I sought that. So it comes back to decisions. You have to decide, hey, this is the situation I'm in. However, I don't have to be stuck like this. There are other opportunities and options out there. And go seek those options. And sometimes it takes getting up and moving. Sometimes it takes going to your, I don't know, local church, community center, and getting involved with some activity that maybe you can have some adult folks that you might want to model or get uh, good advice from. You know, um, teachers, schools sometimes will be those folks. Clergy people will be those folks. Sometimes it's your neighbor down the street. I would say seek the wisdom and knowledge you need from multiple sources and work on a way to get your way out of whatever situation you're in. Excuses are not acceptable to me. And my kids will tell you that. You know, because I always say things happen to everybody. It's how you react to how it happens to you that really matters. You know, your decision post that action that happened to you is the difference between success and staying in a cycle to me. Thanks, Lou Moyer, for pulling up the Black Men Sundays. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you joined us today. But this conversation doesn't end here. We're going to have part two next week. Stay tuned. Thanks, Lou Moyer, for pulling up the Black Men Sunday, brother. We appreciate you. Thank you very much, Corey and team. I appreciate you guys. And I think what you're doing is awesome. So keep up the great work. Check it.